welcome to a new episode of parley the hindu's weekly podcast on uh, news and current affairs i am your host my name is vargis k george i am president editor of the paper in delhi uh, we have two guests to discuss uh, the topic uh, whether uh, or is caste identity politics an answer to religious identity politics we have seen in the recently concluded election the bjp winning four of the five states that went to elections and aam aadmi party winning one election that is in punjab so even before the elections began there was this uh, uh, premise that this time particularly in uttar pradesh there was a strong resistance to bjp's hindutva being offered by samajwadi parties uh, social justice politics as it is traditionally called the mandal versus kamandal politics mandal represents social justice politics driven by caste identity mobilization the word mandal deriving from the mandal commission report that actually provides for quotas provided for quotas for uh, other backward classes and kamandal sort of uh, you know denoting bjp's religious nationalist politics so mandal versus kamandal used to be a kind of uh, uh, framing of uh, heartland politics for a long time so this time again that question was framed in that format uh, what kind of majority political mobilization mobilization will take place one uh, one argument was that the majority will comprise uh, the 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 backward classes dalits and the muslims that could comprise a 85% or 90% majority so somebody on akhilesh yadav side argued that it is a Uh, 90 versus 10 if i am getting it correct and the bjp suggested that it is an 80 versus 20 election uh, sort of obliquely suggesting not in so many words that it could be a hindu uh, majority mobilization end of it all the bjp has won so today we are trying to decipher and analysis what actually uh, won the day for the bjp and what therefore happens to this idea that hindu religious politics can be or should be countered by caste identity politics so the guests that we have today are radhika ramasheshan she is one of the most astute observers of indian politics uh, particularly the heartland politics she has been uh, there and seen it all particularly the rise of uh, both uh, hindutva and mandal politics in uh, in, in uttar pradesh uh, and bihar for a long time and uh, uh, she writes for several newspapers and uh, she is a commentator on many platforms uh, on uh, these issues indrajit roy teaches at the university of york in uh, the, the united kingdom his book uh, on 2019 election is uh, titled passionate politics he has also been a key observer of how identity politics uh, uh, work in india uh, specifically on this question of uh, how hindutva has been able to mobilize uh, a, a large segment of various caste groups Uh, making a rainbow coalition of uh, a multitude of castes uh, therein actually bolstering their uh, politics and uh, the, 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 their advance so today uh, uh, we discuss this question is caste identity politics an answer to religious identity politics that is our uh, basic question that we are trying to discuss today so i'll ask you ratika first do you think uh, this notion that an an, an obc uh, consolidation 
or a social justice politics can actually counter Hindutva's rise, uh, considering the fact that in four elections in Uttar Pradesh now, two assembly elections and two Lok Sabha elections, this is completely failed, while the BJP's victories have been very, very conclusive in nature. Yeah. First of all, thank you, uh, George, for having me over in your uh, program. Uh, I would like to begin by saying that caste and religion are mutually compatible in Uttar Pradesh. And this was proven in the 1991 elections in Uttar Pradesh, which where both the Assembly and the Lok Sabha elections happened simultaneously. You know, that was the point at which caste, and by caste I mean uh, precisely OBC consolidation, segued with religion. Because the BJP used a heavy dose of religion in its campaign in 1991. It was fought on, on the back of the Ram Mandir uh, movement. And uh, it, it was a, a, a vociferous vociferous campaign, which became a bit vicious at times. And the anti-minority component was definitely there. It underpinned the rhetoric. And yet, sections, large, large sections of the backward caste and the Dalits were attracted to the BJP. That's when I felt that you cannot segregate a caste from religion. You had uh, sections of uh, the OBCs like uh, the Yadavs who uh, divided their votes between the Janta Dal and the Samajwadi uh, Party, which was then called the Samajwadi Janta Party in those elections. But that didn't add up to much. The BJP got a simple majority. The second point to remember when we are discussing um, Heartland politics is that it is very dynamic. It is fluid. Nothing is cast in stone. A certain section may vote for a certain party in one election and abandon that very party in the next election. There are certain constants, like the upper castes have generally largely voted for the BJP since 1989. And as a reaction to the Mandal Commission's uh, uh, recommendations, which were subsequently implemented, giving reservations to the other backward castes. That was a reaction. But... It is, I think, I, I would consider nothing short of genius that the BJP has been able to wed Mandal and Kamandal very well. What did they do? When they won the 91 elections, Murli Manohar Joshi and Kalraj Mishra was the favorites running for the post of the chief minister. But K.N. Govindacharya, who was then a powerful general secretary and who had L.K. Advani's years, L.K. Advani was, uh, I think, the president then, he uh, strongly advocated bringing a uh, backward caste leader as the chief minister to undercut the impact of Mandal because the Janta Dal did very well in those elections in eastern Uttar Pradesh. So uh, ultimately, uh, um, Govindacharya's word prevailed. Kalyan Singh, who was a backward caste loath, was made the chief minister. Now, the thing to remember about the backward caste loads is that they were the first uh, backward caste that was significantly influenced by religion, by the Hindu religion, and embraced the BJP's core ideology with a lot of fervor. So the BJP had the full support of the Lod Rajput, and it went for a person from, uh, went for a leader from the Lod Rajput caste. 
Subsequently, the BJP expanded its whole social engineering experiment to include large sections of other uh, uh, backward castes. To and I will jump a little. I will take it fast forward to 2014 when it succeeded after a long um, hiatus. Uh, it even got uh, large sections of the Yadav votes. I mean, one thought that the Yadavs uh, were committed to the to one form or the other of the Socialist Party. In this case, the Samajwadi Party. But lo and behold, in the 21 uh, 2014 elections, there was uh, uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's uh, larger than life kind of persona dominating. There was uh, development. but everything was underpinned by the hindutva ideology so the ayadavs uh, uh, the ones i spoke to said they want to be in the mainstream of politics and therefore they decided to vote the bjp now that was a major tipping point for the bjp's success in 2014 in 2017 and in 2019 uh, now we will come to 2022 this is where things changed a little bit i mean it was a very strong social engineering fabric that the bjp had put together of the upper castes who were given that you share though some brahmins grumbled about the bjp about you know favoring uh, the rajputs under the leadership of uh, yogi adityanath but as these elections proved the brahmins stayed solidly with the bjp so you had the brahmins banias kayas and rajputs coexisting with large sections of the upper the backward castes as well as the dalits so it was a very firm tight social engineering fabric that the bjp had stitched up which this fabric began to fray on the edges before the 2022 elections around i would say uh, 2019 when uh, om prakash rajbhar who headed the suheldev bharatiya samaj party and who was an ally of the bjp he was the first to quit and what was the issue the issue was that his community his subcaste the rajbars were not getting their share he wanted the bjp government to implement a report which was uh, uh, yeah, brought out in so uttar pradesh the point is that segments of the backward caste that were with the bjp began moving away which led to this uh, theory or speculation that uh, the hindutva bjp's uh, ability to hold together various caste groups under its umbrella had actually diminished and therefore time was ripe for a new wave of mandal politics as 2022 result show that that was in the case and it might never be the case into the future as a counter to a counter mobilization to bjp would you would you reach that conclusion i will not read the con- that uh, con- reach that conclusion uh, jot simply because as i said earlier that everything is in a flux in uttar pradesh it often differs uh, from one election to another uh, however of course from 2014 2017 and 2019 there were constants now this election also proved that what we took for granted namely the strong social engineering fabric that the bjp had put together can kind of give away at under pressure uh, well the samajwadi party which turned out to be the main opponent in these elections tried hard couldn't succeed entirely but given the circumstances i would say that it didn't do too badly but again it 
allowed the BJP to sit, come back quite comfortably. But it is a wake-up call for the BJP that it cannot take all its so-called dedicated constituents for granted. And this has directly to do with people's aspirations growing. It's no longer about the Yadavs and the Kurmis. We will get to that, uh, Radhika, in the next segment. So before I bring you in, uh, Indrajit, I want to add a, a rider or a qualification here because I'm sure a lot of our listeners and readers might think that why are we discussing only caste and religion and many other things that... Uh, uh, contributed or were part of the election campaign and uh, we are not in the least suggesting that caste and religion were the only factors but this topic of this discussion is that how identity politics uh, happen in different contexts so if uh, anybody may have that doubt or uh, before you write to us on okay why are you discussing only caste and identity it is in purpose uh, which is that we are trying to analyze and understand in what context uh, religion or caste uh, play as a as a primary motivator of political behavior? So, Indrajit, also I I I want you to join in now. Uh, what is your initial take? Do you think that Hindutva's uh, or BJP's ability to be a catch-all party, at least in terms of uh, Hindu caste groups, is now being challenged as Radhika was suggesting, uh, or does this election prove that uh, the BJP's ability is actually pretty uh, formidable? Because even after all these uh, challenges that it faced, uh, it did still uh, uh, win the election. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much uh, also for having me on this program, uh, George. Um, I think... You know, when you when we approach the question of Hindutva, we often assume Hindutva to be a monolith. You know, we assume it to be unchanging and we assume that it is a fixed entity. But in fact, I think we can speak of uh, varieties of Hindutva, if you will. And I would like to sort of just point to two broad varieties of Hindutva. Uh, one, uh, you could say, is a more Brahmanical version of Hindutva, which is what, you know, uh, social scientists, scholars, academics have assumed, um, and which has been the case in the early decades, uh, uh, you know, of the of the 20th uh, century. Uh, but what you see increasingly is a Bahujanization, if you will, or some people have even referred to subaltern Hindutva, uh, which is, uh, you know, a, a, an interesting uh, formulation. But you, you do see a Bahujanization of Hindutva, uh, a, a Bahujan Hindutva, if you will, which uh, is in tension with the Brahmanical Hindutva. So I think within Hindutva, you have several competing strands, uh, several tensions. And Radhika did, in fact, point to uh, these tensions when she referred to the deliberations in 1991, you know, who were the front runners and who eventually became the chief minister in, in Uttar Pradesh. So I do think that caste politics has posed uh, a challenge to Hindutva politics. Um, it continues to pose a challenge to Hindutva politics uh, because of the way in which in UP, the Samajwadi Party has uh, been able to, uh, well, mount a challenge. It may not have been successful, but it was still able to mount a challenge uh, if you look at vote shares and if you look at the ways in which uh, the, the contestations happened. Uh, you look at Bihar uh, uh, two years ago in 20, November 2020, uh, you see the way in which the RJD was really able to um, you know, hold the fort, so to speak, uh, against the BJP. It's true that the BJP 
succeeded eventually in both UP and Bihar uh, and elsewhere in 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 the uh, in in northern India. Um, but uh, I think the 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 premise of caste politics uh, does uh, lead the practitioners to challenge uh, Hindutva, and that is because of the inability within Hindutva to resolve this tension between the Brahmanical Hindutva and the subaltern or the Bahujan Hindutva. Um, it is this inability to really work out a, 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 a compromise, so to speak. Um, now, Hindutva, of course, is premised, as you know, um, on, the, on the grounds that, uh, well, all Hindus are uh, equal or at least, you know, there should be unity among the Hindus. Um, and of course, that appeals to people who have been uh, marginalized, oppressed, exploited within a caste-based hierarchy for, for centuries. So you can see why that idea appeals uh, to people. Uh, but if you look at the nuts and bolts of things like vote shares, if you look at the way in which different communities are, uh, you know, actually uh, uh, behaving electorally, uh, you find that um, some of these appeals don't always translate. Uh, we we have got used to talking about the growing uh, attraction of the OBCs, of the Dalits, etc., towards the BJP. But remember, and even in these elections, you know, in the 2022 Uttar Pradesh elections, uh, from data that uh, I think the Hindu and the CSDS sort of uh, collated, you see uh, the, the, the massive support that the BJP continues to enjoy among the privileged castes. 90% um, Brahmins reported voting for the BJP, 90% Rajputs reported voting for the BJP. Um, and you contrast that with uh, other communities, uh, other castes, uh, even other OBC castes, you know, the, the numbers don't reach 70%, you know, in the case of, say, the Kurmis or the Kauris, Moirias, uh, and the other OBCs, uh, etc. Uh, you look at the Jata vote, uh, the famed Jata vote, uh, you know, was, uh, you know, still, uh, it hasn't sort of really consolidated uh, behind the BJP in the, to the extent that it remains sort of, uh, you know, supportive of other parties. So I think we do exaggerate the extent to which other castes, um, other backward classes, uh, Dalits, have uh, tended to float towards the BJP. There is definitely a travel towards that direction, but it is no way near the sort of consolidation of the privileged castes uh, in favor of the BJP. So I do think that caste politics, as it is uh, sort of envisioned, uh, does pose a challenge to uh, at least, uh, you know, a very privileged caste version of Hindutva. And I'm yes. happy to explore more in subsequent questions. Okay. So Radhika, uh, so you've been reporting on this question uh, throughout this election and in previous elections. So you did notice that, okay, as you observe right now also, that there was resentment among the underprivileged caste groups and class groups vis-a-vis uh, -vis the BJP and also the, and a, a significant, a noticeable uh, streak of anti-incumbency as well. But at the end of the day, either it wasn't uh, to the extent that would have threatened the BJP or for whatever reasons, in a bi what turned out to be a bipolar contest, a uh, larger number of people chose to stay with the BJP and the BJP, in fact, increased its watch share. I think perhaps four or five percentage uh, points, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 
So what does it indicate? End of the day, is BJP still a more attractive platform for uh, communities, including the underprivileged communities? Or was it a case that, okay, however uh, uh, disenchanted they may have been with the BJP, the other option they thought was far worse, which is ASP? Yes. Uh, yeah. Here I would like to uh, flag a point that I noticed in my travel, uh, and it has to do with demography. You know, wherever I went, uh, the younger um, um, uh, the younger people in a subaltern caste, you can say, in, an, uh, in a, among a, a backward subcaste or a Dalit subcaste, who are very disenchanted with the government of the day, who are, uh, raised issues uh, like uh, unemployment in a very big way, uh, the threat of privatization of the public sector, the threat of privatization of education, that was very important. Um, uh, I mean, these were the three points that were flagged by younger people, whether it was a younger Jat or a younger Kurmi or a younger Koiri or a younger Raidas. They were dying to get out of their village. They found that agriculture was no longer a an attractive proposition. Indeed, if anything, it was an unprofitable uh, um, sector. It was becoming increasingly unprofitable for various reasons. So they wanted to just snap out of their environment, migrate to the cities and do well for themselves in a job. And here they find, and when they think of a job, people in Uttar Pradesh still think of the government sector. And what do they find? They find that jobs in the government sector are shrinking. They think that privatization of PSUs will hit reservation. It will mean that private, the private sector will probably phase out reservation or even end reservation in one stroke. I mean, these were the fears that they shared with me. And education, most important, they felt that uh, privatization of education would be simply make the colleges and higher institutions inaccessible to them. And this was also shared by their parents. I mean, uh, one Dalit... Uh, Farmer what told who did me, they work for then finally? Okay, in this case, yes, the young there, there was a definite shift of the younger population towards the Samajwadi party. It was markedly clear, but obviously it was not enough. The older lot, for instance, preferred to be conservative and vote the BJP because A, they were not sure whether the Samajwadi party was robust enough, was strong enough to answer the challenges that were raised by the younger people. So they said better to go with the tried and tested than an untested entity. There was also the lingering fear that the return of the Samajwadi party would mean the ascendancy of the Yadavs and possibly the Muslims. I mean, Muslims are not mentioned in a big way. And that would... Uh, uh, kind of, uh, you know, hit them hard, you know, if the, the Yadavs became uh, dominant. And, uh, you know, it was already showing up in certain uh, villages. The Yadavs were kind of, uh, well, not exactly on the rampage, but they were sort of shouting and screaming and saying, wait for the 10th of March and we will see what, uh, you will see what we can do, that kind of thing. That also put uh, put uh, injected a certain uh, element of fear in uh, the uh, primarily the OBCs and sections of the Dalits, not so much the upper castes, because the upper castes always feel that they can stand up to any kind of challenge from a backward caste or a Dalit. So that was broadly the picture that emerged. In terms of demo uh, demography, certainly the younger population had tilted towards the uh, Samajwadi Party. Government employees, 
ex-government employees or had also tilted towards the Samajwadi Party because Akhilesh promised to restore the old pension scheme, which is not linked to markets fluctuation. Right. Okay. So, Indriji, so would you would you then again uh, taking off from uh, what Atiga just said, would you do you suggest do or would you do you think that uh, the BJP success is largely on his own its own strengths or uh, in consolidating and uh, building uh, a majority on the one hand but equally is it also a failure of uh, subaltern slash behujan politics as we have seen it because both versions of uh, behujan politics or subaltern politics if you uh, one would call them uh, the samajwadi party and bsp both of them actually face a crisis of credibility is that the case where BJP has its own strengths? BJP gets additional strength from the fact that its opponents, uh, particularly when the, the, that opposition is framed in terms of a subaltern versus a privileged uh, segment in politics, uh, their weaknesses and their inadequacy contribute to BJP's uh, victory. Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. Um, I would uh, I would caution against the narrative of failure of Bahujan politics. Um, I think you one could say in in a measure in a, it's a it's a measure of the success of Bahujan politics that the privileged communities have privileged castes have felt so worried that they've had to consolidate behind one party. Uh, but that aside. I think uh, one uh, area where the uh, the Bahujan parties could do better is to build genuinely cross-caste alliances. And I think this was a point that was mentioned earlier. Uh, the Samajwadi party is too closely associated with one caste. The BSP is too closely associated with one caste. So I think where these parties have failed is to uh, you know, build cross-caste alliances within the OBCs. Uh, we talk of the OBGs and Dalits as if they are uh, you know, again, single homogenous categories. They're not. Uh, there are varieties and variations. Uh, and uh, Radhika very nicely sort of talked about, you know, the age uh, component, the rural urban component, uh, you know, where they are located vis-a-vis -vis other uh, communities. Um, and I think to build a genuine uh, proper block, as it were, you know, a, a subaltern block, as it were, requires a, a much more work than sort of, you know, just getting up uh, a few months before the elections and, you know, starting to campaign. It requires social uh, mobilization at the grassroots level, which is which comes from years and years of hard work. I wouldn't say that the Bahujan politics have failed, as I said, because I think it's a measure of uh, their success that we're using categories like OBCs, Dalits in, in, in our political uh, narratives and discourse. It is a measure of their success that the high castes feel threatened enough to, you know, consolidate behind uh, certain uh, communities. Uh, but you could say you, you definitely there's a case that, you know, Mandal politics has uh, been, uh, you, you know, very successfully uh, 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 has been sort of reduced to uh, the perception that is only Yadav politics uh, or uh, BSP politics is only Jatav politics. You asked a question about the BJP, uh, George, and, you know, whether the BJP is able to win on its own merits and that sort of thing. I mean, let's face it, the idea of Hindu unity has appeal. You know, it it's not something we can scoff at. Whether you're on the left or the right, 
you cannot ignore the appeal that the idea of Hindu unity has. It does not necessarily translate into votes all the time. Of course, it doesn't. But there is a certain appeal. Um, I think as people who are, you know, who were born and brought up in India, whether you're part of the majority or the minority, you you cannot escape that. Um, And I think that's something that the BJP has built on very successfully. And you expect it to do that because it is a political party. It has reached out to different uh, castes and communities, especially those who were historically marginalized and oppressed. These are groups that also found that the Yadavs, when they were in power, were really, you know, behaving just as the uh, previous uh, oppressors, uh, if not worse uh, sometimes. So, of course, you know, as far as these communities are concerned, um, it it makes every rational sense to uh, latch up to uh, a party that promises Hindu unity. Uh, So it's not a case of false consciousness. It's not a case of being misled. It's a case of making a very genuine sort of uh, uh, attempt to look at what political calculations matter. But as I have said, and I think as Radhika also pointed out, the extent to which these um, subaltern communities support the BJP, I think that has been exaggerated. Fair. It's okay, not so I have two, I mean, I want to uh, cover at least two more points with both of you very quickly. So I think I'll request you both to answer very briefly. So the question to you, Radhika, therefore, is uh, the, 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 is the BJP more successful than almost all other parties in terms of giving more representative character and optics to its own party organization and government, which is enabling it to have a larger coalition of uh, which accommodates collective uh, aspirations of a larger number of caste groups than SP and Congress and many of the other parties. Certainly, I completely concur with you, uh, George. And uh, this is a trend which is noticeable in uh, post-2014, when uh, firstly Amit Shah stepped into the frame and reorganized the, I'm only speaking about Uttar Pradesh, reorganized the Uttar Pradesh uh, uh, unit, which was traditionally dominated by the upper caste, which is not to say that uh, the uh, Amit Shah's uh, or the, those who came before uh, 2014 were ignoring the OBCs and Dalits. They did, but it seemed to me a more token kind of representation. Here, I think the way they've restructured the organization right from the block uh, level onwards, they sought to give representation to every subcaste among the OBCs, every subcaste among the Dalits, including the Jatavs, so that the Jatavs wouldn't identify fully with uh, Mayavati, uh, BSP. But on the other hand, I think the Yadavs are the only caste that the BJP is still wary about. The Yadavs probably don't get the kind of acknowledgement, the kind of representation they would expect to in the BJP. But every other subcaste is represented and more importantly, there is an attempt to relate to them at a symbolic level. For instance, the Rajbars, when the BJP started booing the Rajbars, it resurrected an 11th century warrior who was worshipped by the community, Suhail Dev. And that led to an alliance between the BJP and the Suhail Dev party, which has since uh, come apart. So, you know, the idea is to look for totems which are worshipped by every uh, subcaste, instead of just the broad Hindu pantheon, 
and uh, you know connect symbolically as well as substantively so i think that is the secret of the bjp's success with the subaltern caste in uttar pradesh i will i will i'll, I'll put that question in a slightly different manner uh, to you indrajit when people say or uh, when bjp accuses the samajwadi party of being a yadav party or a yadav dominated party is that accusation or is that perception based on uh, reality or it is purely uh, a, a, uh, an allegation that the bjp has uh, or opponents of samajwadi party has conjured up <laughs> i think that's 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 a tricky one um so i think to an extent of course um, the samajwadi party couldn't have gotten away with being purely a yadav party it does have support among other uh obc communities so uh, i think to an extent it is an unfair allegation but i think the samajwadi party has not done enough to rebut those allegations and it has been quite uh, you know happy to be sort of uh, you know considered a party based on muslims and yadavs um so i wouldn't say that the samajwadi party is purely a yadav party no Uh, but the fact that it is you know dominated by one family uh, you know which has sort of held power for so many decades has not uh, helped it uh, at all all right okay now this is my last question i think i'll have the same question to both of you now uh, ever since the bjp has established itself as a central hegemon of indian politics which i would say from 2014 onwards this question has been recurring uh, before us what could be a viable opposition to the bjp because the collapse of congress party seems almost uh, permanent uh, uh, and if there is any sign of revival we have not seen uh, that but at the same time uh, some parties or some uh, uh, there are mobilizations that have actually uh, pushed back to the bjp uh, a regional nationalism or subnationalism of mamata banerjee variety is actually pushed the bjp back uh, even though within the hindutva umbrella the shivasena uh, because of its uh, own regional political mobilization has actually uh, put, sort of countered the bjp in some significant measure there and also there there have been movements against the bjp popular movements like the farmers movement uh, etc which could broadly be classified as a class mobilization in that sense uh, and also there has been this uh, suggestion that okay caste based mobilization could also be uh, a viable counter to the bjp i am not now talking about whether uh, this uh, mobilization were more effective than it was in the last election but the point is will that be a viable opposition to defeat the bjp will act, uh, will do you see that possibility or we will uh, have to look for an entirely new imagination uh, if there is a, a viable political opposition to the bjp radhika you first yeah well george obviously a viable opposition has to emerge from the present spectrum because i do not see anything outside this political circumference which can kind of mount a challenge to the bjp it has to be a coalition of the opposition it has to be based on a narrative which is a kind of counterpoint to whatever the bjp has been peddling and the bjp's uh, uh, you know rhetoric 
indoctrination go, just goes on day after day, day after day. It is incessant. So it has to be a very strong narrative, which, uh, you know, Akhilesh tried it in a small way in Uttar Pradesh. He tried to give a counter narrative based on livelihood issues. Uh, that didn't, didn't work to the extent he probably expected. So it has to be a coalition of the opposition with or without the Congress. Unfortunately, the Congress does not inspire confidence. It doesn't inspire credibility at the moment. Now, to your question, will this be strong enough to counter the BJP? As of now, it doesn't look strong enough. But if they put their heads together, if they put their nose to the grindstone immediately, maybe something could emerge within the next two years. But however, I am not very optimistic. Indrajit? Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I'm... Uh... <laughs> Uh, some people call me the eternal optimist. So uh, I, I think politics is the art of the possible. Uh, and I think there are lots of possibilities, um, you know, that remain in, in order to effectively challenge the BJP going forward to 2024. Unfortunately, the Congress doesn't seem to be part of that, um, those set of possibilities. So although they have a very large number of MLAs in, you know, different states, I think when it comes to uh, mounting a challenge, to the BJP for 2024 and beyond, um, it's not likely to be very helpful. I do think that uh, a co coalition politics should not be written off. Uh, I think coalition politics continues to remain incredibly important. A coalition of regional parties, uh, along with uh, you know parties which may not uh, claim to be regional but you know more caste based. Or caste specific, um, you know, would would continue to remain important. I think in terms of issues, the one issue which I feel uh, may have some traction going forward is the question of the caste census, and this comes right back to the question of whether caste politics is dead or not. Obviously, if the if the caste census uh, emerges in importance, you can see caste politics and parties that uh, sort of support uh, a politics of caste uh, emancipation. Uh, will continue to be important. So I think uh, in terms of the imagination, coalition politics is very much part of the imagination. Remember, the BJP is also at the head of a huge coalition. Uh, but coalition politics as opposition is important. In terms of issues, perhaps it's the caste census, the question of the caste census that will uh, you know, drum up some semblance of opposition to the BJP. Right. That is all what we have time for today. But on the question of caste census, we must actually... That is actually a good point to conclude this debate on. While the Samajwadi Party were indeed uh, raised that issue uh, in this campaign, the BJP's opposition or rejection of that, uh, that demand was also very clearly articulated in this campaign. So in, in some ways, I think this election actually gives us some indication of how even that debate might go into, in, in the future. But anyway, so we will continue to discuss this point in the coming days and weeks. But it was a fascinating discussion. Thank you, Indrajit, and thank you, Radhika, for joining us. Please do stay tuned to Hindu's Parley podcast. Uh, thank you for listening, all of you. And th th thank, thank you, the panelists. Thank you, George. Thanks, George.